as you may have already noticed from the title, this is not a regular episode of the Important Cinema Club podcast. But it is, in fact, a feature-length commentary track for the film Beyond Skyline. If you haven't seen the picture, it is a blast of pure entertainment. It stars Frank Grillo, is an alien invasion story, which then turns into a martial arts action film with the actors from The Raid, and then finishes up with a little bit of Keiju fighting. The way that this commentary track came about is that the sequel to Beyond Skyline, titled Skylines, was just released in December. And I was really excited for the Blu-ray. And I remembered that Beyond Skyline didn't have any special features on the disc that was released. And that was really surprising because its writer-director, Liam O'Donnell, is very active on Twitter and Facebook. So I reached out to him and asked, Hey man, would you be open to do a feature-length commentary track for your film, Beyond Skyline? And would you be willing to let me post it on the Important Cinema Club podcast? And he responded with, yes, that would be great. So, what you're about to hear, and I'll count you down, don't worry about it, is something that should be synced up directly with Beyond Skyline. If you haven't seen the movie, you may be asking, well, do I need to see the first Skyline? As we talk about in the commentary, no, you don't. You can jump right into Beyond, but you should watch the movie before you listen to this. What you'll want to do is get your DVD or your Blu-ray or load it up on a streaming platform. And, okay, you ready? So start both of these in sync in three, two, one, play. Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm the co-host of the Important Cinema Club podcast, and I'm very happy to be joined today by the writer and director of Beyond Skyline, Liam O'Donnell. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's fun to watch this movie with you. So I want to go all the way back to the beginning, Liam, and ask you, how did Beyond Skyline come about? Well, it's it's usually, you know, we're in post on Skyline and... and uh people that uh relativity and and some of the other financiers i think through ca and stuff people were excited about it and they said you know what would what would a sequel be um so uh the co-writer of skyline joshua cordes and i i think we went up on the rooftop in santa monica and we you know just started thinking of a different bunch of different ideas and then we pitched uh greg and colin and and they were really excited it was a still pretty much this movie um but Jared and Elaine were cent more central characters to it, but we still started with uh, what you have here with Mark and Trent and then linked them up. Uh, and, and it went, the ship ended up crashing in New York, which is where the characters were from in the first movie. Uh, and it had kind of a big urban battle and, uh, and stuff. A big tanker battle was the, the end of it. Um, if you think back to 2010, we've seen a lot of urban battles. Um, yeah, because I think like Battle Los Angeles came out, that uh, alien invasion movie. Well, that was the one that was like this whole controversy between us. But I mean, like even like the the Transformers and Pacific Rim. So then when, I, when that version of the movie died uh, after Skyline came out and, you know, people weren't as excited about making a, a second one, it kind of went into like, we had uh, about two years uh, of cooling off and then, you know, but it would always be like, you know, we'd be meeting on other things, trying to get other things going. And some people would say, when are you going to do another? What What's the idea for another one? And and so it wasn't until it came off of um, uh, Netflix 
we were one of the early Netflix movies um, for Skyline that uh, that uh, it started playing on TV again. And when I watched it, I was like, you know, I still I still love the aliens in this. I I'd, I'd I'd kill to make a sequel. Uh, you know, I, I think we just have to like stop um, kind of trying to get other people to finance this and 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 just write it and try to you know push push ahead on our own and then see if we can get partners to, to come in and help us. And uh, that's kind of what ended up happening. So you were like the main creative force on getting Beyond Skyline made? I'd say creative, yes. Um, the actual, you know, like the muscle of uh, and, and monetary would definitely be the producers, uh, Matthew Chouse, who uh, produced Beyond and Skylines, and then um, Greg and Colin Strauss, who, you know, Beyond Skyline was, is very much a hydraulics movie you know so it's shot on hydraulics cameras hydraulics lenses and they did you know 90 something percent of the visual and i'm curious to know when the structure of the movie came about because it is i mean it's two halves it's also like three parts because this first section in the city you assume it'll be the story of all these characters and then you dispatch of them very quickly once it gets to the spaceship (laughs) i think that was um it's kind of early on that like I was like I, I wanted to do three movies uh, in one and which is an insane thing to think of. But I think it was because the first movie was so contained and so um, frustrating um, from like even even editing it was like, man, I just it would be nice if we were like had people walking somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just go to a, you know, a wide of people walking? Um, so. That I think that was that that was kind of like the, the the subconscious reason of why I wanted to make something so propulsive, and um and I think the how that evolved was interesting too. It was like you know like this idea of doing uh, the whole first movie from a different perspective and kind of rushing through it was definitely inspired by Lost. They had that really great episode where it did the whole first season from another survivor's perspective in one episode. And so it was like the greatest hits of the first season in one episode. So that to me was like this idea for the beginning, like, okay, we're going to hit all the greatest hits of the first movie, but you're going to be down and in the shit. And did you have to pitch it like, and it's like Roger Corman, we can recycle visual effects shots. Uh, A little bit. We actually were going to early on. And then it was like, man, the, some of those old shots like look really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They do. (laughs) So we were like, you know, early on you're, you're kind of like, nah, we'll redo it. And then you look at it, you're like, Oh, this still still looks pretty good. (laughs) Like they, you know, it, we had so much more movie to do. So I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, like the, the aerial battles, you know, arguably maybe the peak of the first movie, um, the end on the rooftop, it's pretty, pretty big too. But so the fact that we were just kind of doing it as like a throwaway first act se- action sequence, I didn't feel quite as, uh, egregious i mean it looks so good and feels so grand that when i saw it i'm like that has to have been part of the first one (laughs) i gotta go back and check it because that would have been very odd to be like tossed off in this first act but you know by the time this has come out people have forgotten the first one and the specifics of it so it's all new to them absolutely yeah no one that's that's why i do a recap 
you know, at the beginning of the third one, it's like, no one, I don't take for granted that anyone remembers anything in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that, like, especially once you bring in characters uh, from the first one played by different people, it's kind of like a phantasm s because in the phantasm movies, when they do recaps of the first movie, you see scenes with the new actors in the recaps, and it's slightly different, which is kind of like what happens here. It's a little bit. Yeah. It, I, though, though, that was kind of, you know, wasn't originally in the in the script. I had like that that whole scene, which I guess we talked to we get to, but it was a it was a mind meld scene, and uh, and so I had all this POV footage that they were kind of seeing each other's lives through POV because I wanted to do him and the alien, um, you know, were the communicating ones, and Elaine kind of died right when he got in there and had birth and she died. They didn't talk, uh, so you'll probably be able to spot the ADR now that I pointed out. Um, that, uh, they kind of, um, so it, it just, the, the mind melt thing was just, did, wasn't working. And so it was like, okay, well we could bring in, uh, Elaine, the, the, the girl that played Elaine for us and, and we'll have her just explain everything. And that would be a much easier way to, to kind of link everything up and, and, and just narrate what happened in the first movie from a human being's perspective and not an alien's. <laughs> And when you started writing the script, was the kind of father-son dynamic a baseline from the beginning? Or is that something that you discovered as you were going through like the scenarios that you wanted to play out? Totally the baseline from the beginning. Um, that was – it was – honestly, I came up with the idea for Mark and Trent before Skyline came out. And there was actually talks, uh, speaking of the whole lost obsession of like filming a little cameo – um, uh, with Sawyer from Lost in the Mark character before the film <laughs> came out because we had a little – we had like a month time and we actually met with him, um, Josh, uh, and uh, who was a super cool guy. And he was like, oh, you know, he, he was down for it, but it was just impossible to actually um, make it happen in such a short window. But that was we, – we were like trying to Marvel Universe this thing from the beginning. And did Frank Grillo come into the production early on? Did you have in the script like Frank Grillo type? Well, I wrote it for Frank. I mean um, – Oh. By, in, in, in 2013. So that 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 whole uh, earlier version was 2010. So then three three years go by and when I finally sat down to write the script, I, I, I just had loved uh, Warrior and the Grey and was like, this is the guy. You know, I just felt like – um, uh, he, he, he just so reminded me of like my, one of my best friend's dad, who was a cop growing up who would just be really, really, you know, authentic and, and harsh, but kind of the person that I would want to be on a subway car with if, uh, if the end of the world happens. And so it was a sort of like the whole, the whole thing to me was like John McClane in an alien invasion. Um, and so I thought Frank was just perfect for that. So I, I wrote it for him. And uh, the the casting director, uh, John McLary, uh, came on and he was like, I, I just pictured Frank Grillo. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, because that whoever you pick as your casting, like it, whoever you go out to first and all that stuff, it's it, it just it's, – it's so important. It's not something people actually really talk about that much. I try to, to talk about it for indie filmmakers because I think it's like – this kind of under-discussed part of the process. Um, 
because it's not like a studio where you've got money and you're going to get someone for the role no matter what. Like if I'd gone to someone else and they pass, like the movie might not happen. It just loses momentum, right? You only get so many passes from these lead actors when you're trying to make an indie movie like this. Um, but so, you know, the fact that I wrote it for Frank and the casting director like totally saw it and um, and we were able to 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 get it to him and and that he responded to it he was like this this is in my wheelhouse <laughs> I was like you're, you're goddamn right it is uh and then um and so that 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 just made a huge difference you know it, it kind of uh, i don't think the movie would have happened i don't think i would be a film director if if he hadn't said yes to be and when you went around with a script in hand did you like preface it with like this film you may read it and go oh i guess this one's all in a subway tunnel (laughs) like the same self-contained location or did you just give it to them and you're like man this is gonna be wild (laughs) read it yeah it was funny because like most people would just only have uh notes on like the first act because after that he was like didn't probably didn't know what the hell was going on uh, it was like like yeah it just felt like a you know an action extravaganza with a lot of visual effects he's like i i, I trust you for that so most of frank's notes were all in, in this stuff in the first act and trying to you know ground and figure out the character but no i you know because it was a sequel that also helps because you know you could send people a trailer of the first one with all this alien glowy shit and you kind of like okay i get it um I, mm-hmm. It's another one of the things that we talked about before recording where because it's a sequel, it's um, it, it can be there, – there's, there's, there are really good benefits to that because, you know, it's it's so easy to show someone like the proof of concept. Like this is what a tanker alien is. This is what a drone alien is. This is what a, si- a right, sirenite is. Yeah. Whereas um, on the page, this would just be like – madness it's like a giant alien smashes into this i should point out that it is clear you are shooting in toronto yes. canada here unless oh, i'm mistaken 100 yeah, it's uh, it was the only place <laughs> um it, it was it was actually it was just looking at that as we we're talking in the stitching and this is toronto but all the stuff on the actual tunnel where they get out of the the was all in uh, where they get out of the car was um all in um well actually the truck was in la and then down there on the tunnel on the subway car was in san pedro California. Uh, and that is the Seinfeld subway car that we shot on. And we, we put into Warehouse One, which Warehouse One has been in like every single show ever shot in LA um, and in a lot of music videos because it's this old warehouse on, on San Pedro down uh, on the water, but it has this kind of weird subway tunnel vibe to it. And so we just built, built kind of a, a, a tunnel around that and, uh, and stitched all this together. So here they're in a mall actually a mall in uh, downtown LA that, that leads up into this square. And so we, we, you know, we go from Toronto, you turn the corner, you're in LA and and vice versa. But this was a lot of the stuff that I, you know, where it was uh, on the the third movie where I was like, we just had so many locations and stitches. And I felt like I was too literal a lot where I'd be like, it has to be here and this has to connect to there. And I kind of realized like people just don't know. (laughs) <laughs> oh no they don't they have no idea <laughs> like it doesn't matter people just don't notice but i think as a first timer that authenticity was very important to me and i like fought really hard for a lot of this stuff and then even this this is on location in downtown la but we had to reshoot you know with a but not reshoot but shoot elements of a bunch of hydraulics people for those backgrounds to fill out the crowds because i didn't have enough people to 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 get to populate into the area or enough lights to really kind of show them. So it was just 
just a lot of good learning experiences all around. You had um, written or co-written the first Skyline. Was it tough to pitch yourself as a director? Had you made like shorts or commercials or music videos that you could show on a reel? Or were you just going out there and being like, please let me make this movie? You know, sometimes it's better that you've never done anything because people can just like, people can just sort of like believe that you're going to be this like like, you know like wow he's a natural um (laughs) but i didn't because of um you know greg and colin strauss who directed the first one produced this one you know i've been working with them since 2005 um and so i'd been writing and producing for them on on all of their projects i'd been on set every day of alien versus predator 2 every every day of skyline um you know, everything they'd done for when we started shooting this for almost 10 years. So for them, it wasn't, um, you know, I, I, it wasn't really hard. It, they kind of knew that eventually I, I wanted to do it. And it, it made sense, um, you know, that I was like, you know, I, I'll write the script, but I really want to direct this one. And uh, and they, they I think they kind of thought that the ship had sailed and that it wasn't really going to happen. Um, but uh, they, you know, I, I really went, forward with it and then their support you know it wouldn't it wouldn't happen without it <laughs> they're like let liam chase the dragon <laughs> he'll never catch it <laughs> yeah a little bit i think a little bit and then but with frank it was like um you know i would he would he when i remember on our first skype he was like asking me about the visual effects and i was just like i i don't i, I really don't give a shit about the visual effects because <laughs> greg and colin are producing this movie and they they've forgotten more about it than i'm ever gonna learn so like we just don't have to worry about that. I was like you and I we just have to worry about making it as cool as possible and and you know making the performances good. And so that I, that kind of was like what he wanted to hear that I wasn't really geeking out about the aliens and all that shit and that I really, you know, wanted to do like a gritty, you know, uh 80s 90s kind of uh cop movie for him in this invasion. So um you know that that kind of um that's at least what what our initial conversations were that 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 sparked his interest and um yeah so it definitely i i i know my reel was was like it was all stuff that i had uh you know written uh co-written or or produced it was not like anything that i could hang my hat on and i'm sure people when they read the script for this were like how are you going to do this this is very yes big. and no and, and i think that's just again because of the first movie that they're like well that one was really big um yeah they shot that one in a condo they can do anything and then greg and colin are so confident that um about about that that, that they were like not worried about it but my dp christopher probes who i'm sure we'll talk about a lot on this he just kept being like there's a lot of shit in that script <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like what do, you, what do you mean it's gonna be fine he'd be like it's a lot of shit I read it again last night, man. That's a lot. And I'd be like, eh. you're like, don't worry. A lot of the aliens, they're in suits now. It'll be easier. Yes. Yes. There's a lot. I just had a lot of, uh, of, of naivete that, that helped. If I, if I knew uh, going in. This is a beautiful uh, first time feature because you can tell the person making it is throwing everything yes. at the wall in the yeah. best way possible. Oh, I should point out right before she disappears, though, but Betty Gabriel in this movie, I remember when she showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, Get Out came out. That movie was great. I'm sure she'll have a big role in this. Well, this is I cast her in the first movie of her career. She'll tell oh, you. Oh, really? Wow. This, this, this shot, this shot in 2015. 
So this is before she was cast in Get Out and The Purge and everything else afterwards. Um, yeah, so she she had had no roles. She had just um, you know been. I think she she had gone to Juilliard, um, and you know my casting director was like, check out the check out Betty, check out her her audition. I think she's a star, and um, and I was like, yeah, she's perfect, great, love her. And we we met and and yep, her brain's gonna be ripped out like twenty minutes in, but up until that point, she'll be great. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're like you know every every single role you try to make it as good as possible. Um, and but yeah, and then it was kind of crazy like while we're in the super long post period she's all of a sudden becoming this like phenomenon you know and her like <laughs> yeah. her, her gif is like you know was like the gif of uh of 2016 2017 you know with her oh no 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 so um that that was that was really cool to see uh and i, I remain a fan and now it's like i want to yeah i want to i definitely would love to to work with her again but it, it was we talked about i came to her for a project um for portals actually and she was like uh shooting you know like a apple plus series with chris evans <laughs> she's like oh, i'm too famous now i'm sorry Liam. <laughs> but she was like I-, I definitely you know never forget that you 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 know first first movie role so I- that's definitely a-, a feather in my cap beyond skyline is a great like um like charlie saran her children of the corn three she's in a lot <laughs> So it's like, oh yeah, I remember I started with Beyond Skyline. Yeah, Betty, that's right. When she's at her Oscar, uh, you know, acceptance speech, I hope they do a career retrospective and uh, and we get to see um, the aliens rip her head out, uh, rip her brain out. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so like something like this, this is all practical, and it seems so complicated. Did you ever have to scale back any elements from your script, as far as especially like the destruction at the beginning here? Uh, yeah, there is a there is a ton of scaling back all the time. But that, I mean, obviously the creature there, CG. We had a guy with a um, with a uh, digital projector on his head. Sometimes I would do it because because I didn't <laughs> like the way people would move the projector. You kind of have to come in and like wiggle it in a in a cool way so that it'll catch the lens flare um as he's going in to do it and then but this one was was um fairly difficult uh cg fight it is interesting to rewatch this again just how full throttle it is all the time and and there's just so many audiences that you would watch it with that had like just couldn't find the groove of it because of that and so it, it was so great to be at like toronto after dark when people are like geared for something that you're like, you don't want to wait around for, you just want it to be nonstop. I mean, that's the thing that really caught my interest the first time that I saw Beyond Skyline, because I had preconceived notions of what I thought the sequel was going to be because I had seen the first movie. But then when it started with a scenario that it kind of made sense of how it would be an extension of what has come before, but then it gets crazier and crazier and you're running through things so quickly that I have no idea how you're going to get to the next point. That's when you really gripped me. A lot of these like DTV sequels, they seem to go through the numbers or they just recreate what had come before. And you succeeded in not only giving people what they expect, but then going beyond that. And like this brain rip here, it's like, whoa, <laughs> 21 minutes in. You watch that at like Trieste at like at the opera house and like everyone's like in like really nice <laughs> in their nice outfits and stuff. And they're like, uh-huh, interesting. Very interesting ideas. <laughs> so, uh, but no, that was actually a great audience too. But it is, it is a, it is a, it is a fun movie. 
And so you mentioned that the uh, Brother Strauss, they dealt with the visual effects kind of um, part of the movie. How much involvement did you have when it came to like, oh, this is going to be practical. This is going to be CG. Or did you leave that mostly to them? No, I I had pretty much I was involved in every single aspect. It was just kind of like um, when when we were. When once it went into the VFX and it was like going through the visual effects supervising process, which like in a traditional movie, like a studio movie, like the director like kind of meets with everybody and then the supervisor kind of micro directs everybody and then shows the director for approvals. Mm-hmm. I just got to point out that is an amazing explosion right there. All practical too. Yeah, no, that was in Toronto at uh in in, in at at that set. Uh, that set in there, that interior set that we were just in was Toronto, and now we're up in LA again. And they just blew it up on the on the uh, at a parking lot near a Tim Hortons. <laughs> because anybody watching, like, it's a VOD sequel to Skyline. Like, you don't expect right from the get go, like this much production value and scale. And then, yeah, like, so we had these shots that were really cool, but it was like, man, it would be great to kind of see those ultra wides that we had in, in the first movie. So we ended up just cutting them in and then, well, yeah, just keep them. <laughs> yeah. Put some trees in front of it. Whole new shot. Things you were saying about scaling back. This was, they were supposed to get into a car and have it be a whole chase scene here. Um, and so that, that got it, that got, you know, nixed. And so then it was like, I, I've lived in the Marina, Marina del Rey for a while. So it was like, I knew these were kind of these interesting, weird locations that aren't in movies that much at these bike paths along that the LA river. So I wanted to, if I couldn't do the car chase, I was like, all right, this, this could be a a cool, a cool place for this. But yeah, it was supposed to be like a tanker smashing the car, smashing a truck. Mm, I gotta be honest. I love the kind of, uh, immediacy of them just like running on foot. It's like so hopeless, kind of like the, you know, the ending of the first one. And speaking of having watched all three, uh, in quick succession, you really love to have characters make a last stand and then undercut it instantly. It happens a bunch of times in this movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I definitely, I definitely like do. I, like characters are constantly like, here we go. And then they either get stabbed or killed instantly. Like, <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah. It, it, I, I, it, I think this one's definitely the most. I think this is the most like, the most just like, pure id of me um this is this is this is like a 12 year old version of myself uh you know to the max <laughs> um you know that the day we were filming this that actually obama was in town and so those big ospreys were coming off the water so we had all the, the pro- appropriate eye lines but we couldn't make them do what we wanted them to do so we still had to replace uh, them uh, that sucks <laughs> With these CG choppers. I mean, you can't have an end of the world movie without having a high overhead shot with CG choppers flying through. See, even that, like that, that there was a tree there and then there's not like he was supposed to just crush this tree and have all that shit, all the debris go everywhere. And it's just one of those things where you're like, or we could not do it. And he just lands and there's no tree and and people don't know. People don't notice, you know. I know it haunts you every time you see it, where you're like, ah, if it just had this. But eh, you know, viewers like me, we d- we didn't know what it was supposed to be. Yeah, no, it was just a lot. Like even the 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 
the temple suplex at the end. He was supposed to suplex him into the temple and have the temple oh. just completely get destroyed. I mean, of course, that's what I wanted to be. And they're just like, they're like, guy, it ain't happening. <laughs> 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 they're going off frame. And you're like, ah, this is fucking bullshit. And then you have to like take a step back and be like, you're, you're arguing over like fucking giant aliens suplexing into the temple just be grateful that you know you have a job this is that, that that's this crazy this is a scene too where you're like is frank grillo gonna die <laughs> like <laughs> is this film gonna completely kill off who they're setting up to be the main character of the picture yeah that that was another one well oh, here you speaking of 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 one-liners and then being undercut the man antonio fargus <laughs> yep <laughs> Oh, man, this poor character. He does it like three times in the movie. It's just, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches with him. It's like, again, like we have so many overqualified cast members in this movie that are just like, oh, my God. Like Huggy Bear is, uh, you know, he's actually producer Matthew Chow's stepfather. So, um, you know, that that was – that was slightly easier to get in the cast. But at the same time, it was like how is like the perfect person to play – uh, Sarge, your stepdad, that that's pretty cool. And um, yeah, but he's still, you know, we just had a nice uh, exchange over the holiday break and he still will send me texts and sign off as Sarge. <laughs> I just I love it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Such a great guy. So I have to ask, like, who's the person that said, all right, we're going to have, you know, aliens throughout this film. Let's just put them in like Guyver style suits. Oh, that was me. That was the... the I thought even even if we're you know from the very beginning if we're gonna do a second one back then that I wasn't uh, I wasn't as pleased with the end design in the first one I know a lot of people love it but to me it was like too strange and it was too like uh right it would have been impractical to see throughout a whole movie it as was well. like shining skin but I, it was also really bug like and and kind of like pathetic and creepy and i think the first like pathetic and like that like a little bit like uh brundle fly where you're like just kill that thing <laughs> yeah just put the shotgun in its mouth and blow it away <laughs> <laughs> and i i think that was fit for the first movie better that um you know that it was so it's such a horror kind of thriller creepy ending but for this one where i'm like okay like you know they're kind of like like supporting characters, and the sun's gonna get put into them. I wanted it to kinda be kind of gross, yeah. Trad- well, I gotta say that like skyline when I saw it, all me and my friends were talking about when we left the theater were those end credits, which I knew that you fought for. I did them, yeah. It was like I I I just felt like it wasn't done, and everyone's like just let it go, but I just don't let things go. So I we brought uh, the actress in and 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 took photos of her. Um, and uh, and that ended up being kind of like, oh, yeah, he's going to fight this way off. But then that pisses some people off, like, too. It's like you never – some people are like, I can't believe they ran out of money and they just did this fucking graphic novel at the end credits. It's like, well, the movie was done and I just w- did – Yeah, you could have had nothing at the end. Yeah, and I just was like, ah, oh, it just feels like it needs something more and that could be cool. But I don't know. Who, who's to so say? So this set, it was like a big green screen set, right? Yeah. The one we were just in, the black. Yeah, pit. like the main chamber that uh, no, they're walking. No, around. That, no, that was a that that one that he was just in. The black pit was a big latex wall uh, in Batam with with uh, sand on the ground and then a black tarp over the sand, and then we just put a bunch of slime all over it and uh, a bunch of extras. And the interesting thing about the black pit scene that we're just in is that 
Frank in, is we shot all of his side in Indonesia uh, early on in the movie, and the actor that we had cast for Trent ended up getting cast in a TV show by the time we shot the other side. So we had to cast someone else and they actually never, you know, touch each other. That's like, it's stunt doubles on either side that neither actor are, are ever in the scene together. And, uh, kind of, again, like the type of stuff that like, you just probably shouldn't do on your first movie, but, uh, learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so like the design of this spaceship, was there a lot of discussion of what it looks like? Cause it's complicated, but it's also not too complicated. If you know what I mean, where you kind of get like lost in it. Yeah. So like here, like this is, this is a green screen set. Um, and then you pull, pull back in. And then this is back to the same black pit set that Frank was in just redressed with a, with a new, different pathway. And this was one we, you know, we kind of added in that, uh, he was going to see the brain factory here afterwards. That we we cut because just for runtime we wanted to condense these two sets together. They were kind of shown in, in different order, so we're like, okay, you know, we need to show that these brains that they pulled out are going into the aliens uh, before he meets Jared. So that's why we we have this here, and then we have what we called the maternity ward, which is back to a practical set. I love how much lore is just introduced, like just rapid fire right here. I remember the first time I saw it, my like jaw was agape. I'm like, I can't believe they're doing all this stuff. This feels like the climax of the movie. And we're only 30 minutes in. That's what, um, Sean Albertson said too. That was his, like, you know, his criticism, but also like, let's go with it. Oh yeah. That is not criticism in my mind. Yeah. He was like, your (laughs) first act is a third act. That's the problem with this movie. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's, that's what makes it good. I mean, let's be honest. Your film is essentially three third acts stacked against each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really exactly right. And personally, that's what I react to when I see any kind of genre filmmaking or filmmaking in general, which is someone that is passionate and wants to deliver to the audience as much as they can. Not the bare minimum, but going beyond expectations to really blow away people that watch it. This is what we called our little Batman shot that was introducing Jared. And um, and these things were the idea of these. So this is back to the same room redressed. So the black pit that he was in at the beginning, that maternity ward, and then this is the last use of the set, which again was just a big uh, rubber wall and baton that you know they kind of pitched me was going to look a lot cooler, <laughs> to be honest with you, from a production side standpoint. <laughs> so when you got on set, were you like, uh oh? Yeah, I was not stoked. Yeah, I was like, they had all this. They did like one panel, and it had all this amazing detail, like this egg. Like the whole wall looked like this egg did. Because that egg's pretty much in camera. And I was like, oh, sick. I've never seen this in a movie. The whole fucking, we're going to, you know, we're not just going to be another styrofoam movie. And then afterwards, I'm like grabbing all the styrofoam we can and putting it in as many scenes as we can. You're like, get me some McDonald's, um, you know, the styrofoam face. (laughs) That's what James Cameron did. You sculpt, yeah, you sculpt styrofoam and you put slime over it. It just always looks good. So I was like. Yep, and you just kind of like lower the lights, have it reflected, and you're good to go. So this stuff was, um. You know, it was originally there was lights behind them during the black pit thing and it was coming through. But for the later sequences, I was like, just fucking spray paint it and put slime on the wall. I I felt like it would be just better off not calling attention to it and looking more at the stuff that's in the frame and less background. So, yeah, it was it was funny talking to the production designer on the third one. And they were like, so latex walls. And I was like, no, don't, don't ever talk to me about that again. We're not doing those. 
<laughs> this must be the latex wall guy. This set is the reason why the whole movie, you know, kind of went over schedule and over budget. Because this set was all supposed to be built practical. And it's all green screen. Right, because you see in the bloopers, it's all green it's screen. It's all green screen, and that was not the plan at all. And um, we, we ended up – couldn't really make it safe. We had this great structure in Batam, Indonesia, but it, to, to make it all kind of safe with the rock and roll trust was going to cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars to import it there and have it on time. And it ended up just being like, we're just going to punt this and we'll shoot it back in LA on green screen for the schedule. So, uh, which was super cheap to shoot. But, um, you know, to me, it was like, you know, I like to think of, um, you know, from like the filmmaking standpoint, I always try to think of like your, your meat and potatoes sets that you're going to reuse a bunch of times. And so, because from a writing standpoint, I was intercutting to this set a lot and then doing the climax there. To me, it was the most like no-brainer. That's the one you have to build. You know, if if these other little ones that you're walking through have to be green screen now and then, well, it's not going to be that many shots. It's fine. So it was like the exact opposite of the way that I wanted to do it in my approach that we had to do it green. And I think it just – it added like 500 shots to the movie and became really, really hard. I mean, they look great if you – didn't know it was a green screen. Even some of them, we had to we had to farm some out because. Uh, but this is all this is all a practical set. Um, that was again sort of the latex idea, and uh, <laughs> Christopher Probst and I when we came in, there was just nowhere near as enough webbing. So I just remember, <laughs> you know, the 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 DP and I are sitting there putting all the webbing in ourselves, and people are like looking at us mouth agape, like, "What are you guys doing?" It's like oh, this is just like the indie filmmaking. I'm just where where we come from um chris will do anything on a set so when this happened me and my friends our mouse just like hit the floor because we thought this was going to be completely disconnected from the first one but here you have characters from the first one interacting with the sequel characters this was the actress that because we're filming in indonesia you know we we went with someone who was locally from singapore right because the first thing that we did when we saw this play out was go on imdb and be like wait is that the same actor that was in the first Skyline, or is this somebody new? But that's fine. That happens with sequels. There's slight recasting because they're not going to last very long. So then this is footage that we shot for the pitch trailer for Skyline back in 2009. And to Tony was the original Jared for the pitch trailer, and we already had the shots done. So when I was mocking it up, I just used some of those. And then we're like, well, let's just bring Tony in. And luckily, he hadn't aged in like eight years. He looked great. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was all for that was that was for a reshoot um where where like i told you where we needed to have the, that's my wife right there the one that was that got the belly removed and she she was pregnant with my she was pregnant with my third uh born at the time and my uh my uh, effects um supervisor alan holt went up to her and knocked on her belly and said wow that 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 pregnant belly looks amazing was, she's like, "Ow!" and he's like, "Oh, oh my god! I'm so sorry." He thought it was, he thought it was a fake belly. Um, so, was this something that was right there on the page that you were going to link the first movie this way, or were people like, "Can you link the first movie somehow?" No, people were like, "Don't link the movie first somehow." I, I, I was the one that wanted to do it. I, I, I remember I did like a, like a, like a script consultation with a. Judith Weston, who's this kind of famous, uh, you know, directing guru in L.A. And she was like, this movie, 
you know, either it, it, it either wants to be an original or it wants to be a sequel and you just have to make up your mind. You can't do both. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like knock the pages off the table. You're like, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> oh, I was just like, fair enough. Um, you know, I think it became more of its own movie through through this process. And I think, you know, once coming with Frank and him being like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the lead. And we, that, that changed more of it to tailor it around him. Um, that, that, and that, that was still fairly early on, um, before we were shooting or anything. But, um, but yeah, to me, there, there was pressure like early on, uh, from, from people when, when they first came to us to talk about a sequel to just toss out this treatment and just, go to Shanghai and do, you know, Skyline Shanghai and the, the same basic beats of the first movie with just different characters like that. That would be the kind of the cynical version, I think, um, to just basically just, you know, do it, do it in a different city, not, not connected whatsoever, show the alien invasion from a different perspective. But it was super important to me to like, kind of uh you know <laughs> i gotta have guys in rubber suits punching each other but also redeem the first movie and, and connect it and like there's you know it, like it, the ending of it was my favorite part and i wanted to use that to you know it's where people would be like this feels like it's an origin to a comic book movie and i'm like it is uh and so that it was important to me uh especially at the time i think now i'm 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 much more um you know, kind of like know that I can never please anybody. But I also felt like there there were so few fans of the first movie that I was like, I can't just completely abandon them. I have to answer this question because there's a big cliffhanger. Um, and so to me, I just I felt like it would it was a, a dereliction of duty not to tie them together. Every time that I tell somebody you got to watch Beyond Skyline, they're like, do I have to watch the first one? And I'm like, well, you don't, but you should because it does tie into it. Yeah, I, I you don't. And it's the same question people have been asking on Skylines. And it's like you don't. But like, I don't think you get the full appreciation. Like even if even if you don't like one of the movies, the fact that these three movies exist within this same bizarre uh trilogy and i i believe me that 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 was a joke to me in the marketing for part three uh but like in a series at least is just it, that's kind of what's amazing about it is that that where we started to where we we go is is part of the fun so you're writing your script and you enter the lines and then a baby becomes a character <laughs> Did you have any um, nervousness about that? Were you like, maybe there'll be a dog as well? Absolutely insanity. I, I had no nervousness at all. <laughs> I'm like totally confident that that's all going to work great. Um, <laughs> You're like, I've seen um, American Sniper. There's a realistic baby in that. That's what we'll do, right? Because for people that haven't worked on a film before, the one thing that everybody tells you before you start making a picture is that do not do anything with babies or animals because they are the toughest things to control, especially a baby who's supposed to be very young and recently born. You need to bring like multiple babies on set because you can't put just one through the paces. And there's a lot of rules and complicated things that need to be followed to be able to just make it work and get the basic shots. There's our styrofoam piece that we, you know, where we have our, our little power cloth, oh, okay. and I was like, I, I took that styrofoam piece and I put it in like the background of every green screen scene after this because it looked, you know, I was like, oh, it's in camera, it's practical. 
How nice. But th- this set, though, uh, one more thing. This set, we reused like the general asset of this set like three times in Skylines. We just changed – like we took the tankers out. We inverted it. We did all this other stuff and you'd, you'd never know. The suit, like the practical considerations of it, did it go through many designs to make it something that like an actor can wear and walk around in? It uh – it, it 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 was a one thing prototype like that was it and you're like all right go uh, <laughs> and it lasted two movies because we we actually reused the suits for the wow. the other one i mean alan holt's a, a a great great uh practical effects uh creator and it wouldn't have been possible without him i mean we went through a bunch of different designs like in the computer designs but not not builds um i think the first couple designs were very halo-ish and I wanted to go more Predator Aliens, and, and so that's that's kind of where they, they ended Was up. Was there, like, one main suit performer on Beyond Skyline? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's on both movies, it's Jeremy Fitzgerald, who's – he's playing Jared here, and he plays Trent in, um, in Skylines. And he's just got a great physicality, and he's really uh, – he's also a stunt supervisor in his own right, so he could choreograph a lot of – the, the the alien fight scenes even in skylines um when he wasn't stunt supervising you know he he can input and be like knows exactly what's gonna look good with their moves because there's only like four punches that they can really do you, it's like it's these slashes and stuff like that uh, that was one of the things on on part three that have talked to the guys from from berlin they would be like in some of the choreo, they'd be having them do like real moves. And I'm like, no, no, no. Can, they can only kind of do these different slash. Watching it the first time, I actually did go like, how are they going to make these big? I mean, it's a bulky alien suit fight. And I got to say that you get some fun moves in there as well as just them bonking each other on the head with their meat claws. That's me, by the way. <laughs> That's me looking at me in those two shots. I, I, I was Grillo and I was the uh, the shepherd at the ground because that was a that was a reshoot. There was a whole other fight scene uh, right there with um, Frank and uh, and Jared taking on two other pilots, and it was like it, it was a really fun one too. Um, but again, just it, it, too much too much shit in this movie. Uh, I ended up taking some of the footage of that fight, and because it was all on green with Frank, using it in this later fight where he's doing the the tentacle and just replacing the in-camera suit with the, the CG tentacle monster. So that's kind of a little a little trick uh, of many in this movie. The other is that, yeah, Frank, Frank Grillo has an incredibly symmetrical face, so you can just always flop his shots. <laughs> Whew, good thing I didn't give him an eye patch or anything like that. Then I'd be really screwed. A- any of those first-time screen direction rookie moves where you blew it, it was like, oh, flop it. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, you can. No one will notice. I mean, look at this set. Like, man, what a design that is, even though it's all computer generated. I know. Well, that's the thing in, in part three where, where Trent has the scars. It was like, man, can't can't just flop them willy nilly. This whole upcoming sequence makes me just nauseous watching it. The fact that people had to be upside down for so long. This was all like a techno crane on like a like a 16 foot tall green screen set um, for, for this. And I had no previs. So it was all storyboards on a wall in the hydraulics office. And uh, like like we established, I'd never really directed a movie before. So I was like <laughs> just kind of crossing it off on the wall of this – of these different, uh, you know, 
beats. Uh, I, I really, you know, could not have made could not have made it without Christopher Probst, who's the DP. Just kind of is. Help, help, I learned uh, so much from him on this movie. He was, he was definitely a mentor. So was he, um, you know, your creative partner that was telling you like, we can't do that, or you're gonna need to figure out a different way to do this? No, he's just, he's just much, very much more of a problem solver. You know, uh, he would, he'd be like, fuck it, okay, fine, but like, how do we do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 that kind of goes with everybody. It was just like, um, you know, we just had a lot of, we had a lot of problem solvers on this because there's just so many problems. Like even these things here, those little hand inserts, I totally blew those on the day. Um, that these leg shots blew those, those are all, that's me. All of them are, all these little inserts are just me and some of my friends at hydraulics afterwards. Um, because, <laughs> uh, it, 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 I found like this whole movie was like, I was just felt like I was rushing through everything that like any like inserts were like almost impossible to get. Um, but, but because we had such a long post for all of this different CG waiting for it to get filled in would be in hydraulics has its own stage. It was just really kind of like a, a warehouse, um, at the time that, uh, you know, we had, we owned our own cameras, we owned everything. So it'd be like, all right, well let's, you know, let's schedule a day. And we, we had all the wardrobes. So we just go into that warehouse and be like all right i i really think this leg pov thing here will will help this this scene it's kind of frank's pov in that and then you know we ended up getting getting it uh, in. i would love a count of how many brains gets ripped out in this movie because it has to be a record as far as brain ripping in films go you know no, but i rewatched like starship troopers lately and it was like oh my god i can't believe how you know as much as i i'd love the movie and watched it like so many times i hadn't seen it in a few years and it was like, I can't believe there's nothing been at the scale of that movie that's that violent. That movie is wild. Or even like speaking on a level of violence too, like those guys that get burnt up in that film in a big blockbuster. It's like, oh God. Like it's a hundred million dollars. It's all, and it's like, you know, a cutting edge practical gore with cutting edge CG gore. It's just amazing. There'll never be anything like it again. I mean, that feels like a movie that the producers waked up, woke up the day of the premiere and they're like, oh, what, a movie got made? Hey. Yeah, whatever let's go see what we did <laughs> it can only come out at the end of a string of like four amazing hits you know that's kind of like how how those things come to be it's beautiful so like i said i said a bunch of times during this commentary like this feels like the end of the movie <laughs> like i feel like viewers check yeah, and they're like fair enough. wait there's still an hour left and i say that in the best way possible only because you cannot imagine what will be beyond this? Now, I knew because I remember when the movie was announced, some clips were released of the scenes in Indonesia, unless I'm mistaken. I remember seeing it at like twitchfilm.net uh, or something like that, that. That was the opening of the movie. Um, it was, yeah, that was an alt opening was, was to just intro on them and then see the ship crashing and then do the whole like, you know, 24 hours earlier, blah, blah, blah. Um, which was similar to the the first movie, so that made sense structurally. And, and and I'd had that in the script at one point; it had gone back and forth. Um, so I kind of filmed it both ways, and it it I think it it's interesting. It's one of those pros and cons because like having having Eco stab a guy in the neck at the beginning of the movie definitely would have probably made it feel more cohesive in a way, um, but then you wouldn't have the whole Rose thing, which becomes part three. So, uh, you know, I'm glad with where it ended up. 
but yeah, there, there is on online you can see the extended version of the opening. Um, yeah, because isn't I could have sworn it was like a longer take or something like that, but maybe no, I'm just it, imagining it's them. It's like it comes down from the trees, and you just see a drone kind of going through, and you see them both hiding, and uh, and 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 um, and scavengering and, and and grabbing stuff, and then they're like they have a, a couple lines of dialogue, and then the ship crashes overhead, which brings us over here. So yeah, that's still online somewhere, and it has a slightly different color grade. So for posterity's sake. How did the whole uh, Indonesia angle get into the screenplay? Uh, well, it was China originally, like in and uh, I think it, it it was you know like a Shanghai, like I was talking about, but um, that was just like the first draft. It wasn't it, that was like 2013. It wasn't. It was even then. I felt like well, it just crashing down into another city. Once you start doing the research of it, it just felt like going back to LA in a weird way. Um, and so I was trying to think of, of, a, of some, Oh, that's a great next stab there. Just practical blood shooting. Yeah. That it. was one of those little, you know, um, tubes going up the side of his neck and just a, a little bladder squirting that all out. And then, you know, little digital cleanup. It's so weird when I watch this again, that like anyone doesn't like this movie to me. <laughs> Oh, that's great! Like, I, I just don't understand. I'm like, wow, this movie is so—it's—it's it's cut so fast. I mean, if someone doesn't like it, you can just smile and go, mm, "Okay, we just don't like the same things." That's okay. No, I know, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there in my in my older age. This is probably the cheapest set in the whole movie. This is literally like a bunch of fucking Office Max, um, like storage things on either side of the set. This was done in L.A. on like the end of the schedule. And it's like literally like car cables and fucking like, like, you know, the bare minimum <laughs> uh, liquid latex stretched on stuff. But it is it is as cheap as a set could possibly get. But thankfully, it's an emotional scene. You're just in these tights and you're not thinking about I it. I always wonder, like the actors, if they're like, what is going on here when we're shooting this stuff? Or they're just like, hey, eh, I have my face in the director who's never made a feature film before. At that point, they'd already done the whole Indonesia. We shot Indonesia first. So they were just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's just finish this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out th- this year, right? 2015? You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Let's see you, see you at Sundance. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what I was saying besides that, yeah, it, it is just cut. So unrelenting. Sean Albertson did the last edit of this, and he is really, really good at, at just kind of keeping the pedal to metal the whole time. Oh, you asked how did, how, how did, how did it come to Indonesia? That was... So it, it then it was, um, you know, just kind of like trying to think visually because that's not where I'm, you know, writing to then being like, okay, but I'm actually visually, I want like the, the, the third act to look different and feel different. And um, my wife was born in Laos and there's, you know, that that's kind of just something in my life, obviously. And it was, it was just sort of an idea of like, uh, what about, what if we, what if they crashed in Laos? So if we're going over to Asia, it was just a place that is just not in movies a lot. Um, and then doing the research on that and, and looking into to tunnel warfare and, and stuff like that, it just started to get it. It just started to make too much sense. Um, so then from the script standpoint, I think that was the, the second draft for like 2000, uh, 
2014, early 2014 was to do that way. And it, and it just, it felt much cooler and it felt like, okay, now they're landing in apocalypse. Now this is pretty fucking awesome. Uh, so every, everyone liked that a lot more. And then, um, and it also, so then, but the, the challenge of going to shoot it, um, the producers had met Mike Willon from infinite studios who has the studio in Batam, Indonesia and one in Singapore. And so we were like, okay, let's go scout. And they, they sent us a bunch of stuff and it had all the different locations that I had based it on in Laos. They had comparable things in Indonesia. And then, of course, Parambanan Temple, which is, you know, a, a world UNESCO site, just this amazing location. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's scout. And the first dinner that we had over there, they were like, you know, have you thought about Eco and, and Yayan in this? And I was like, what? Like, you guys know them? They're like, yeah, it's it's a small town over here. Like, uh, so that kind of blew my mind. And and then we we set about like we needed that to happen, and uh, and got them in the movie. And then that changed everything. And how did you go about choreographing the action for Eco? Did they, he have his own team, or did he collaborate with the LA guys? No, he the the wise team are you know that. At the time, they were kind of transitioning from the Marintau team to to becoming the Awise team. Um, so they, you know, they were they were ending their time at Marintau and kind of building their own company. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they they were just they were just incredible. They just would send me, you know, quick times of of this carnage, and I I, I remember showing it to Alan Holt as he was building the the suits. The suits aren't even done yet, and I'm like do you think they're going to be okay with this? And he was like, what the fuck? Cause that wasn't in the script. <laughs> and, you know, we got like a month to go. And it was like, it, you know, it, I just, just his jaw dropped and it was like, how, how do we actually make I, this happen? You finally let him die. <laughs> After so much time. It's nice knowing you. He was supposed to be able to speak, uh, you know, the Lao or, or Vietnamese cause he was the Vietnam vet. And we actually filmed it, but it just felt <laughs> too much. So it ended up just being a, a nice moment of, of humanity rather than um, paying off the Vietnam vet uh, thing as such a uh, screenwritery thing rather than just let, let the moment be more authentic. I love this shot. This is one of my favorites. As a genre fan, I've heard you say that like you love doing action stuff. So you must have come to this project like riled up <laughs> with a lot of ideas. Yeah, and again, then I, I like I it was almost like in my head I was just like it's going to be like being in an action movie and I do try I still try to treat it that way so that like it's not um a chore, you know? Like I think it I think this shit is it, it's the best job in the world. It's it's a lot of fun, so you should treat it that way. Um but with the, with with these guys what's interesting um you know, having worked on a couple of different movies and different things is that I think Wise Team, like they were starting out and they'd always work with Gareth and then Gareth and them would, would go and they would do the previs together for like months on the raid movies. But they got hired like a month to go on this movie and I'd never done martial arts before. And it was like they just kind of would show me the action in like a wide, one wide shot. It didn't really have camera moves or like inserts or anything like that. So that was sort of me being like trying to figure this out as I was going. It wasn't – none of the action was like to kind of pre in in the typical way that they are. Like on the third one 
or, um, or or some of the other movies on where it's like here's an insert here's kind of this is the general idea of what the scene could be now you do your version of it so in a way I think that's what's kind of interesting about the movie is that there, it's just not a previs movie and then you know a lot of the times the the previs from both the CG standpoint and the other thing is kind of make things feel smoother and and slicker whereas this one just feels a little grittier and messier but in kind of an endearing way to me i mean i was surprised to hear you say i think you did like a mini commentary on some deleted scenes online and you go like ah i decided to just add an action scene here because i was having so much fun doing it and i was like he could do that yeah i mean (laughs) it was it it was like uh i'm sure it was it, it was tested a lot of people's patience but it was like you know within the schedule um I th- what I wonder what yeah as far as with eco yeah adding action scenes, but every, you know my producers everyone was so fired up that eco signed on to the movie, that there was like if I'm going to them I'm like, like the next stab action scene that we saw earlier was added a day before because I was like hey you know we're gonna meet you there like we have all these guys they're killing an alien like why don't you kill someone. <laughs> 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 and they're like, oh yeah, man, very cool, sir. You know, and and, and um, and so so they added it in, and I, I even remember like Frank, Frank wasn't there yet because it was after the holiday break, and he came back, and I was like, yeah, we just added another action scene yesterday. He's like, you had an action scene for Eco? Oh, why would you add an action scene for me? And I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the the fight between Frank and Eco's character wasn't there until we cast Eco. It was just a standoff. And then, um, you know, then the other bad guys showed up and it was like, all right, let's get out of here. And so some of those things are some of the, the lessons I learned because I got a lot of fucking pressure in uh, in post from when we would do screenings to like cut some of the fight scenes. Like they wanted to cut – they wanted to cut the next stab scene. They wanted to cut the Frank and Eco fight. Uh, you don't listen to them. You're like, no. What are you talking no, I was like, what do you tell? I was like, you guys don't know what, what we're here for. But I do think the reason why people are making those notes is because they could feel that they were just sort of added and that they weren't really part of the story. Um, so, you know, I understood, but it was it was just a lesson, you know, for the next time to try to make the fights kind of be a little bit more character driven, a little bit more, you know, organic. Uh, but I think, again, it was just like someone, you know, it was like Brewster's Millions. Someone just dropping the money off. <laughs> and you're like, you got to spend it. You got to do it all. But the money the money is literally Eco and, and Yaya. Like, they're just like, they just showed up. You got to use them. You're like, oh. You can't do a Star Wars uh, Episode 7 where they just show up and do nothing. No. I mean. <laughs> Let's not get started about that. I'm choking on, on, on that because I know they were really, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it was insane because I remember seeing the first time we did a rehearsal with uh Iko and Yayan in a gym in Indonesia. It was before Frank uh, arrived. And uh so Yayan was playing Frank for the fight and they did the whole fight like full speed. And I was like, I can't believe Iko's not in Star Wars. Like why you know, they had Darth Maul and, you know, what are you gonna have like a bunch of British actors swinging their swords around? Like, come on, why you're not gonna have this guy, you know, be a some type of badass like Sith Lord or something like give him two dagger lightsabers like this feels like it writes itself and um, 
and I didn't know that they were actually in it at that point because they had, they had hidden it from everybody so well. And so the casting announcement came during filming that they were in Force Awakens. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. You're like, I can't wait to see what they pull off on screen. <laughs> yeah, I guess they knew what they do. And, and they were there for a few weeks. They filmed, uh, you know. For a few weeks? They filmed an actual fight in that scene there's a bigger fight that exists somewhere they did with the alien like it was definitely they weren't cast just for what happened you know there was there was they just stand there and i remember like sitting in the theater and being like that's it well you can see them in the background like the tentacles grabbing them there was a there was a bigger there was a bigger scene so that so i didn't have that pressure though as far as like uh because because again we were we were doing this um well before that movie came out. So before Eco got cast in the movie, did his character get into these like hand-to-hand fight scenes? He got it was it was just more of like like a typical war type scenes, you know, like yeah, you'll fight, you'll shoot. Mm, okay. You know, like like I said, it was more apocalypse now was the vibe than to to adding in right. the, the martial arts aspect. So you can still kind of squint and see what that movie would have been like. It's and it's cool, but it's not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> So at what point did the baby start growing throughout the script? Because I remember when it started to happen, I'm like, everything's on the table now. Yes. Um, my wife just watched this before we watched Skylines in that scene where the, they come out of the water and she's like suddenly 18 months. She just burst out laughing right in my face. <laughs> <laughs> so supportive, honey. Thank you. Um I was like, it was, you know, it was hard because we shot that thing in the water first and then you know, months are going by, we're shooting different pieces. Um, I think it was, it was part of, it was in the script. Uh, so originally Elaine's had a bigger part in the movie to, to be honest in the, in the first draft, like 2013 draft, um, you know, I think Jared might've still sacrificed himself or he, he definitely passed away at some point in that draft. But Elaine was – it was that – Elaine was – her belly was growing was the ticking clock. Got to get this woman off the ship before she gives birth. So that was sort of the um, – the th- that role. And then once Frank came on, it was like, hey, let's make this more about Frank and less of a two-hander. And so tailored it more around him. So it's like, okay, well, Elaine can pass away and then he's got this baby and that's kind of this cool lone wolf and cub sort of thing. And um, and then it was like, well, I just don't want to have this baby the whole time. And that doesn't that doesn't and like you saying, babies are really hard. And it felt like it needed some sort of sci-fi thing to it. And I, I think I just bit off more than I could chew because of the schedule and actually trying to get all these different babies. But luckily, we ended up with with this great uh, child actress, uh, Alana, who you know, again, it's just so unlikely that a third movie got made off of this and then they go to space and it's based off of that little baby and all those little strange decisions that i just made launched a third uh space saga chapter so um yeah it 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 was is again uh there's just so much of this being like fuck it well it's gonna be great let's just do it and be legends (laughs) (laughs) so i'm guessing that like, like you mentioned, the child actor wasn't too much of a problem because even that is its own whole set of issues because she's pretty young in the movie. She was great and um, she was actually just supposed to be cast for the – I think I think she was supposed to, to be into the scenes that she's up and that was supposed to be her last scene and she was supposed to grow one more time. 
and very, very, yeah. very, very into an adult, and you're like, oh, we have an older person now. <laughs> no, we 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 cast an older girl, and she was on set. She was like five, and um, very, very wisely, Bo- uh, Boyana was like, this girl's got something, Liam. You should not. You should stop. He's like, she's she's really, really good, and they had a good rapport, and uh, and and they they did. You know, it was like it was the moment where she grabbed her face at the riverbank. And they looked at each other. Um, she was just like, "You can't replace her. She's she's Rose for the rest of the movie." And I was like, "It's it's a great point." But then I did have to fire a five year old, and uh, and there was a lot of tears, uh, and and uh, upset stage mother. Uh, you know, understandably, but you know, it, it uh, unfortunately the movie, it, the movie was better off by not going that extra step because you just started to just lose any connection to the character at all. Yeah, and you would expect her to keep growing throughout the movie too. <laughs> Even if it went from the five-year-old, you're like, all right, what's the next stage? Is she going to be like an old lady by the end? Or? That's why the ending is what it is because we the original version of the movie didn't have Lindsay Morgan in it. And we screened it and everyone's like, so does this kid just die tomorrow? Like, <laughs> what's happening? And uh, I was like, touche. Okay, good point. Uh, let's Let's – figure that out so the last thing that we shot is the is the wraparounds with rose in the future i I think it's wild that lindsey morgan continued to play the character it's so wild in the third one as well think of it like this what if the other girl that i if if i hadn't fired didn't look like lindsey morgan this girl alana did so it's like so it's just like all these little weird micro decisions that accumulate into you know who i think is is having the perfect person play that role in the third movie and it could have just gone sideways so many different ways it's 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 wild so as your first feature film was there a lot of people trying to like push the direction the movie had to go or they would have liked it to go because looking at the final product it seems like it's pure you yeah definitely definitely more so than than i'd say the third movie um but there's it's still I know. I guess they're both comparable. I mean, they're, they're collaborations, right? It's like you know, you you all the all the actors they they see the things differently, um, and it was more just me. I felt like I was just like holding on for dear life, like um, you know, like I, I I didn't feel like I had the great skill set where I would see a scene like this and be like, okay, if I if I felt like something's wrong, like what I could really do to make it better. But luckily, you have Frank, who's such a great actor and physical actor and he has to make things right for him physically and you have christopher probes who's such a great uh camera blocker for where his camera is going to be so they helped me a lot but i mean, just that last scene with frank like my my one note was like we were too wide and you could see his arms and there's something about being in a tank top with like being too wide that it just it felt like you were focusing on his physique and it was like Chris, just just move in more. We need to just get tighter on him. And I think I even blew in on it. I mean, I still got to say that I can't imagine you coming to this and directing your first feature film, something this big. I know you mentioned you were on set for other films that the brothers directed, like Alien vs. Predator 2. But having to show up on set in Indonesia and just shoot... Especially a scene like this, people may not understand that there are so many lines of sight going on in this. And that means that you need to make sure that the characters are looking in the right direction to make the scene make sense. So you have here, like, Frank in the middle 
two people in front of him and then there's also people behind him so you need to make sure that when you're shooting the scene that when people are conversing that they're not only looking in the right direction but you have enough coverage to make sure that when you cut it together specific lines uh, specific reactions you can get the looks that you need and something like that can oftentimes prove more difficult than shooting an action scene where the kind of momentum of how is it supposed to go is much more clearer than a simple conversation between like six people. But like uh, you mentioned, Liam, you did have to flip some shots here or there because it's a mistake everybody makes. Like here, this is like, I think this is the first scene in the whole movie that's like shot on a dolly. <laughs> like everything else is like all steady cam, And, uh, you know, we had obviously a lot of uh, the techno crane, but steady cam handheld. This was like, this lab stuff and this was like the, the the typical like real movie making that you do and everything else you know like slow down and tell a story the rest of the movie is so just like pushing you forward through all these different wild sets uh barreling ahead so yeah i mean it it, it, it and also because of our post going so long i edited this movie like almost every different way was there like a 90-minute version of the – or like an 80-minute version of the movie? No, but there was a three-and-a-half-hour version of it. And it was like – I'm just saying that like it just – it I, I, I didn't feel like I had left anything on the table because it had gone so long and we'd tried so many things that I just – I've walked away of this one like completely satisfied. Um, and, and I felt like it was like making three movies uh, going going through that process of like – you know, there there were different times where it would be like, you know, pressure to completely do things really, really different. But yeah, I, I felt like the, the one thing on this was that the tone um, in the script, there were there was more a little bit more levity like in Skylines. And uh, it it's just the nature of the beast of being like an alien invasion movie where like the world just end that like. The levity just never felt quite right. Um, so so it ends up feeling at times a little more serious than my original intent. But uh, it still kind of straddles the line. And if, if you're a good person who knows how to watch movies, you can enjoy it. <laughs> a good person. <laughs> That's literally where I, where I've got to. I'm just like, you're a bad person if you if you can't enjoy these things. I, I just don't get it. So I can't imagine you arriving fresh faced. You're shooting your first feature film, and you said you shot Indonesia first. Yeah, everything. The first thing we shot the first two days was Frank and Eco's fight. Oh man! <laughs> and of course, it's a it's a four person fight because you also have Boyana and and Pam's fight on the other side. And you have a baby and then you have Yayan showing up with his badass aviators. And it was like it rained like, you know, four hours into the first day. Um, we're in the middle of this rice paddy. <laughs> Do you remember the lessons that you learned? At what point did you throw away your complicated shot list? And you're like, ah, we get whatever we can get. Well, as soon as it rained, I, I had so yeah, that well, that standoff is like, hey, it's your first movie. And you have, you know, uh, Eco, Pam. Boyana, Frank, and a crying child <laughs> at this crazy rice paddy in the middle of of a, of a jungle, and it's a standoff, and there's all these different angles, and so yeah, we were, you know, I was overshooting like crazy. I had like three or four setups just to get them to the goddamn hut, and I'm just, you know, two, you know, I was just doing a bunch of like shooting, 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 
and it's working, it's getting well, and Frank's just like, you know, we're we're barreling along. It's a weird scene because we're like doing this whole like, you know, cop type thing that doesn't feel like it's in the rest of the movie where he's just like, yeah, no, I know. I saw your, your tattoo or whatever. And, uh, and so th- that was already just like feeling insecure. And then boom, it starts raining and none of the things are going to match continuity wise. So I was like, all right, well, we'll shoot the rest of it tomorrow morning. Cause usually it would be sunny in, in the morning and it would rain around lunch. And then it would kind of, you know, be overcast in the afternoon. So I was like, let's just skip forward, turn the camera around, and you guys start fighting each other. Because they've been rehearsing it for the past week or whatever since Frank got there. So it was the thing that I was most comfortable with. It was the thing I'd shot the most in rehearsal with, you know, different actors and stuff. So, so yeah, it, it took about three actors to uh, – three hours to throw out the, the shot list of, of what the day was planned and then just – turn around and have them start uh hitting each other and i think it was you know we we did all the way up until like we did each part of the fight you know there was like three layers of that fight so we would do that one two three one two three and then when we got to the part where you know frank just picked eco up and launched him into the puddle i just remember like shooting my arms up in the air and being like this is fucking awesome this is gonna work (laughs) yeah this is the life so uh, you know this is actually one of these scenes where it's like five minutes on set and all the actors are looking at you like you're crazy. And you're like, just trust me. Just We just got to cover a bunch of shit here. And like, you know, they're, they're doing these hokey lines and they're feeling it. But it was it was like a Friday before a weekend and everyone had a lot of had a lot of fun with it. And it ended up cutting together really great. I, I like the You know, that was a Boyana uh, suggestion of uh, you know, overcompensating for something, and, and I like I love the look on Frank's face where he's like, "This is my movie. Don't fuck with me." <laughs> well, I mean, I always get you know a little bit worried when I see a scene where like a bunch of characters walk into you know a room filled with guns because I'm like, are they going to use those guns? And this movie, it delivers. Yes, yes, I would never do that. I would never do that to you. <laughs> So this big underground set, I'm assuming it's in a studio somewhere in Indonesia. Yes, and that was one of the things. This is actually the side of the parking lot in Indonesia. This is our, our great insert unit. <laughs> we had an insert unit that would just do the parking lot. Um, and this is the only stuff that we shot exterior, like above in Batam. So it's a very different foliage than some of the stuff in uh, in Jogjakarta where the actual temples are. But um, yeah, so that interior set – it was it existed there from some other movie like in a different form it looked like it was kind of like a like a saw type movie with some type of dungeon type set um but when we went to scout there we saw it it was like oh perfect this will you know we could totally redress this and the production team i think it was the the, the best set that they they worked on in indonesia they really did a great job like all that texture in the walls that wasn't there oh, like, i love they, it all those scratches on the walls and stuff like that yeah yeah they added they added all that and they added all of this and all of that 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 tech gack and and uh and we built all that around there and and yeah it came out really really nice so i'm guessing considering that you said that you added like 500 shots of visual effects that there was never like a limit that was put on you of how many visual effects shots that you could have in the oh movie. yeah there was um it was just it would just you know we just kept we just kept blowing by it um but yeah there i remember there was the edit you know where i showed the brothers and they were just like 
no. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was like 1,900 at that point, and we got down to like 14 uh, at one point. And then um, once we did the extra cut after the test screening, it creeped back <laughs> You're up. like, I don't know how this happened. It just it just happened. Well, it was a little bit like, okay, we're, we're test screening. We're going to add something else. I'm going to fucking add a spaceship exploding at the end because, you know, why not? Like at that point, you'd seen the movie. You knew that this was a kitchen sink movie. And, and if you're going to add – if you're going to add a future, you know, Terminator post-apocalyptic world, you have to – it has to pay off. So um, luckily, you know, the Greg and Colin are, 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 are pretty crazy as well. So it wasn't like, you know, you're not twisting their arm completely, but, you know, they they are running a business. Um, so, yeah, it was – there was definitely – there was definitely uh, – that that explosion was always funny. There was, there was an early cut that the onset editor for in Indonesia did where he like went from her close-up exploding and it was so funny. Um, but uh, it was one of those things where you're like to save shot counts, like you don't do three shots of her explosion. You just do one. Oh, so it was just like a close-up of her face and then like an explosion? <laughs> Yeah, it was like her face exploding, and then it cut to like the side of it exploding, and then the rear of it exploding, and I just I loved it. But that's that's sort of the shot count thing that I feel like I learned on this one that I used more on Skylines, which is it's got I think five hundred less shots, and a lot of that is is just by by kind of picking a little bit more beforehand and being like, we're only using this shot for here to here. And instead of it being like as, as cutty as this one can be at times. I mean, it feels at times like, ah, just as many visual effects as you can throw at the screen. Like, <laughs> because it's so organic within like the nature of what's happening. All the aliens are just so present. No, it, 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 and it is, trust me, going back and seeing this again for the first time in a year after being a post, it's like, wow, there is so many, there are so many shots in this. So this ending, as we're getting to it, and it is like a 25 minute, basically like from this point on, it's one long action scene. Um, did the Keiju element, like how did you land on that? I mean, it landed on that like before anything else. Like like I told you that, you know, the, 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 the end of the first movie, you know, um, there's a shot where we reveal that there's a creature inside the monster. Um, it's not, it wasn't something, I think it was something that was, you know, discovered in post and we added it. So it's not like there's this huge reveal, but there's a shot of the, the pilot inside the tanker when, uh, David Zayas is fighting it. So from the, the first treatment of, of what beyond skyline would be there was, it was a kaiju battle at the end. Um, so it was always just about like who was in the kaiju and how that was going to happen where the where the only kind of changes in in how long it was i mean there was definitely my original version was a lot longer and like i said i i i i really wanted him to to suplex right to the center temple um i don't think i'd be allowed back in indonesia if i had done that so i'm, I'm kind of glad uh, with the way everything worked out <laughs> well you were going to destroy the actual temple though no, but they they actually were like even in a in a thing like you can't destroy the temple digitally and even though we 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 kind of 
we kind of mess it up and and uh, you know the, the alien does show up and he just pulls the dick move of knocking a temple over onto people <laughs> rather than just stomping them uh which i thought would be a deal breaker but it it apparently uh you know i've gone back several times since and been welcomed in so it couldn't have been too okay. bad. Okay, but I but you're still haunted that that suplex doesn't exist in this movie. <laughs> I, I I know I I kind of got over it because I do like the shot quite a bit. Um, but there there's a version that we did of like an early teaser that was really fast with the suplex. It was a little more Transformers that I think in hindsight would have been better than some of the that we ended up going really slow with them and then. When we did the last cut, we we're like, it's just too slow, and we sped them up. And so you'll notice there's kind of a like Ray Hazy Harryhausen like uh, like stop motion feel to some of those shots, and it's because the animation is being sped up. Um, it, it's be it's being so it's so it's dropping frames and stuff because you know it was animated to be a certain speed, and we're we're kind of speeding it up just to give it a little bit more impact. So we kind of went a little too literal with like. You know, big things should move slow. Yeah, like the Godzilla, like shoot it in slow motion. Otherwise, it looks cheaper when they're moving fast. I I think because the Transformer movies existed in the interim, that it just like it, it just felt so much slower. And in, in everyone's brain has been trained on what they've seen in the last ten years. Even though that when you watch those Transformer movies, sometimes it's like I don't know what's going on. Right? Yeah, it's just spinning, twisting. It looks complicated. Yes, but there, I think that was it was a. It was it was an interesting uh, you know challenge and experiment. This thing was this part was interesting was that like this was a great note from Sean Albertson when uh, we're doing the last cut is that like I had this like intercutting back and forth between him and Frank a lot like pinging back and forth, and I think that's sort of like a typical first timer thing is that like there's like a little bit of like insecurity and you just want to keep pinging back and forth and intercut a lot, and he was like. He's like, you've got a great story, a great fight in here. Stick with it. And uh, and I think, you know, that it definitely helps. It definitely made this more intense. Whereas if you're just like, okay, Eco goes through the wall, then we go to another thing. Oh, I absolutely agree. I find that's a big mistake. Like big budget action movies do is intercutting fights where you're like, no, just keep it on this. Especially this scene is so claustrophobic. With the way stuff like this big monster in a small space. It, it, it allows them to kind of not actually do fight scenes. It it's always annoys me like in some really big budget movies where mm-hmm. they do that intercutting and you realize you just watch like a punch block, punch block combo and then you're out again. So I, ours was nothing like that. I felt like I was trying to draw out the tension of Eco and those guys more and I thought by intercutting it was going to draw the tension out more. But it actually – lessened it because you had to keep reorientating yourself as to where you were. It's weirdly something that a lot of big budget action films do, almost as if, I don't know if it's the director or the editor, they don't have confidence in the action scene itself and feel they need to play it against a bunch of stuff, which can work. Like, you know, Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars films made it famous, but when you do it too quickly, it becomes desperate. That's something we shot in the parking lot like a year later where we just literally poured gasoline on one of the suits and burned it. And I we put a pole in the back of the suit's head <laughs> and I'm animating its head as it's going, no, uh, there's some of that on the Instagram. That was, that was fun. <laughs> That's like, again, greatest job in the world. I was going to say that speaking of going, no, there are so many like subtle sound effects, like, especially like when brains get taken away. It's like, <laughs> did you have difficulty? Like, 
finding the right balance for that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, there, the sound, you know, was we worked quite a bit on it. I mean, we finished the movie sort of twice, and we have an amazing sound team on it, and uh, the mixer, uh, Chris David, who's you know done like Michael Mann movies and predator movies and stuff so it, it it ended up having a really really good team this was another one of these i actually had frank jumping off the temple onto that scene um and it it just because of the the actual hover craft <laughs> another one of those ambitious ideas it was supposed to destroy everything beneath it it was supposed to like have a scorched earth trail behind it <laughs> so when it's coming across the jungle like the jungle would just be like this burns trail behind it uh and so he had to jump from that temple over it but uh that was one of those early things like you know you're you're fucking insane so he could just climb right up. i this ending doesn't prepare you for what's gonna about to happen in like 10 minutes when they're all fighting the aliens uh one-on-one was that like just something you decided when you were writing the script because like in the first one the aliens are undefeatable <laughs> like you can rip their brains out they're just gonna reform themselves and here they're they're defeatable. I I mean the actual scene was like in the script like a half a page long. <laughs> I'm not joking. He fell he fell out of the ship and he saw Audrey and they all got cornered and they were firing their guns but it was like, you know, everyone's doing it but there's 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 no way it's going to last forever and then Trent Trent came to the rescue. So it so again it's those thing of like the Brewster's millions of uh, spending the that that eco yayan, you know, cachet instead of cash, it's cachet, and then just being like, well, you know, making this fight into this amazing thing, and even even the scene of Frank where he falls to the ground and the alien comes for him, I wrote I wrote that out at lunch before we shot it because I felt like it was missing. Uh, the just dramatic beat to get the claw back on. Like I was like, oh wait, there's just gonna be a claw right here. Uh, so the, some of that stuff is just just organically kept growing to be bigger and bigger. And then um, with those guys, it was like, yeah, it, there there should have been a line somewhere. Um, and I actually wrote this line into the sequ- into part three, but it sounded strange. But it should have been a line somewhere where like. Aim for the creases in their armor, and that's why the <laughs> aim for the crease. That almost sounds like the suit. <laughs> yeah, like that's why the knives work better than than the guns because it's like they're, they're armor plated and there's there's these little creases. It, it, it's it, it's again all that stuff of like you're going to shoot one movie and then you get this amazing gift from the movie gods and then they're like adding these amazing scenes. I mean, anyone that's listened to the podcast that I co-host, The Important Cinema Club, knows that I am a firm believer that pretty much any genre movie, science fiction, noir, romance, historical epic, could be improved by martial arts action. I know some people may disagree with me, but they are wrong. And if you are a filmmaker out there and you're not quite sure if you're nailing the kind of tone of your project, you know, throw in some martial arts duels and you will be Fine. Here's our dick move that we described earlier, where you know he could just just start stomping on people, but he's like, eh, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock this over onto them. <laughs> <laughs> you know these uh, aliens, they're not they're not nice uh, nice people. They don't respect ancient architecture. They've got no 
no sense. And I mean, like this climax, the way that it plays out, you were saying that you had to spend that, um, you know, eco money, but you kind of extended that as well in the movie after the skylines where the climax is kind of structured in the same way with these multiple, multiple fights playing out. And it's like different flavors of fights. Yes. So is that like a lesson you learned here? For sure. And it was, I, I, I feel like everything, everything about part three is, 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 is just different lessons that learned in this one. And then, you know, trying to stretch the budget and, and, and do kind of full on world building. Although as I'm watching this one now, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot, I did a lot of world building in part two. <laughs> okay. uh, it's, uh, you did it's, do a lot of world funny. building. <laughs> we were, you were going from location to back lot right there, as you can see. Um, and so that was like on the back, on the actual location, they were like, you can't actually film anything here. But then as we started filming, you know, they didn't they were telling us we couldn't film the action pretty much. They're like, you guys can have people running away, like those big nighttime scenes that everyone's running, but you can't do like fight scenes here. It's it's sacred ground. And we're like, okay. But then like as we're filming, they're like, Oh, we see what you're doing, it's fine. You can film. So I wasn't quite like prepared to do the end fight fully there, um, because they they told us that we couldn't. Um so You'll see when when Frank kind of goes out there and we get to the end of them all joining up that that's like as far as they kind of wanted us to go. And then they let us film like rehearsals there and we ended up using some of the rehearsal footage for some of the other fights. So this this footage right here, this POV stuff was all from the mind melt. So that aborted mind melt idea ended up reusing that for – because it it doesn't really make sense because it's all – that's all from Frank's POV. So that that was that was from Frank's mind meld, but it's we're using it in this context to be Trent's memories. But he's apparently having, uh, you know, third person memories. But it just still it it works, you know, for 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 the the actual information you get it. But that was the original. And intent. were there any people telling you like you got to set the this climax at nighttime? Because like I when they get out, it looks like it's going to take place at nighttime. But bravo for having these monsters fight during the day. No, it was the opposite because of how um, hard it is to shoot it at, at night and light everything. It was more like, uh, you know, let's OK, let's speed this up and get to the, the daytime. Yeah, no, you know, the hydraulics never afraid of doing the CG mm. in the day. And it looks great. People may not realize it like consciously, but you just nail the giant monster sequence, which for Hollywood making so many of them, like the Transformers movies are giant monster pictures. No one has figured out how to portray it on screen. There's always a fear that it will look dumb or fake as opposed to following the masters in Japan who just know how to do it. Look at that fucking piece, piece of trash set thing that we grabbed. (laughs) Uh, it's just like it was like fucking seawood <laughs> with like a little bit of latex in there but that little bit there and then this so that this stuff on the location so you have a little back lot to location but then this little bit here like was maybe the best feeling i had in the whole movie filming because it was kind of very organic um coming together with the blocking and the camera moves and the choreo and just just a great collaboration between everyone on the day that we were like and this was our last thing that we shot in Indonesia you know before 
before breaking uh, the for Avengers the holidays shot. and it's just coming to that shot. <laughs> yeah, it was just like it was it was just like such a great feeling like oh, this is this is better than I ever imagined. But I do think part of that is like, you know, the fact that how much I was a huge fan of of all the actors that I wanted to treat them like they were icons even though, you know, they might not be icons to everybody. I, I love that shot because it's like, you guys are so excited. They're all together now, even though they've only existed in this one movie. Yeah, exactly. But it's like kind of like, I don't know. It's it, it's a little bit like what I try to do is it's just like, it, you know, it, it, we're not, this isn't, you know, you love those other things because they're, they're IP, but this is like, hey, you should love these actors. And if you don't, you will after this, hopefully. I mean, so you have screened Beyond Skyline with audiences what was the reaction where like this scene was playing out and did it surprise oh, yeah. you? People loved it. It was always like an ace up my sleeve. Um, you know, I, I, it was way longer. I mean, I had, uh, the, the first note I got was that the, it, it turned into knife porn. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, different, different strokes for different folks. What's the problem here? Um, uh, but so I, you know, but I do feel like it was, it ended up being a, a good length, but I had, um, I had a much longer version that I felt, you know, brought the house down. But I do think it's all the same beats. It was just basically like, you know, four more kills probably. Um, and and then, it, yeah, it was just kind of like designed to be this escalating thing. It was always it was always a good fe- good feeling to watch with audiences because of the way it ended, you know, that it just kept escalating. I mean, when the Kajus start fighting, which is something that, you know, you never think is going to happen <laughs> – <laughs> the audience, they can't help but being like, oh, especially people coming from the original, which is so enclosed. And I mean, a bunch of big special effects are going around, but it takes place in one location. Right. But it is just that back thing where people will be like, oh, it's like Pacific Rim. I'm like, this tanker is in the first movie with the guy piloting it. It's like anyone who made a sequel would have done a kaiju battle. I just. I got to say, <laughs> Pacific Rim takes place entirely at nighttime and in the rain. So. No, no, it's but it was just one of those things where it was like, hey, we, I, we definitely rip things off from other movies, but you can't say the kaiju battles ripped off. This was this was inherent to the property in 2010. That's all my point. And I have to applaud you for the kaiju battle being um, something that makes sense. It's not just like one move there and one move there, and you have no idea what's going on. You pull the camera back and you let you know it play out. Oh, thank you. I was, you know, what we did, we we actually filmed. So I had all these plates because in my head I had it, but again, no previs. So we're doing all these plates. Um, Greg Strauss did some of the second. Oh, poor Yion, did some of the second unit plates. Um, but then we didn't have really the choreo besides like storyboards. So we actually had uh, a couple guys come into the warehouse and we filmed a full choreo and kind of uh, with two guys doing that fight. I'm and- like, yeah, I could keep fighting after his arm. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Looking at it now, I was like, wow, I can't believe we brought that guy back. I love it. Love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, he's dead. He got his arms and legs ripped off. But nope, he's back in the third one. So that one. little part there with that extra um, save of, of Ico was, a, was something that we had he was like heading out the door and I was like, wait, I want to do one more scene so it's on green screen because it was like we didn't have time to go out and film exterior. He just actually just shot one extra fight scene with him. And there was a whole other extra fight there, but I used at least the tag because I felt like Audrey needed 
one cool moment where she picked up a sword and mm-hmm. killed an alien. <laughs> You're like, I just need one more fight. Just one more, please. That's what people said about the last one, uh, Skylines. They're like, does, why does everybody know how to fight in this movie? I was like, I got two rules. Everyone wears tank tops and everybody fights. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to say, uh, that Daniel Bernhardt fight in Skylines. Mm. Chef's kiss, love it so much. He's great. He was, he was like uh, our, our action, uh, you know, MVP. But yeah, all this stuff was filmed. Uh, Guy da Silva, who is a, was the Black uh, Panther in Marvel's Civil War in uh, Captain America: Civil War, he's a, a really good um, action actor, stunt and choreographer. He brought these two guys uh, who I can't remember their names of, but they came into the warehouse and he choreographed this fight for the tanker battle that we ended up using as reference. And then even then I would like that end fight with the grab. I, I, I filmed a little extra reference and yeah, you can totally feel the choreography and the storytelling arc of the monsters fighting. They are not so removed from what's going on that it's just a bunch of noise in the background. And I know that I've been um, complimenting this fight scene for the entire running time, but man, I just think it works so well. I really love this shot of the the shepherd, we called it, but it's the harvester now dying. I thought that was one of the better VFX shots Hydraulics did. And then, okay, so can I explain the fist bump? Because um, Frank, it was his suggestion because, you know, in the script, it was like they embrace and like that makes sense when you write it. And then when you see the suit, you're like, there's no way they're going to embrace. <laughs> He's like, ah, I'm stabbed. <laughs> but there, there is a storyboard of them hugging, which I put on my Instagram, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's hilarious. It was like, okay, that, that's a different uh, way to do it. But then he was like, I would just uh, I'd just do something like this. And he puts up, you know, the, the fist and do the fist bump. And I was like, it's perfect. And when we did the, the – at the back lot, we – so we shot his side on set in Indonesia. At the back lot, we shot – uh, Jeremy's side is Trent and Frank was like ah, I don't know about the fist bump maybe I should just grab his hand and I was like nah dude <laughs> we gotta we gotta lean in on the fist bump you know like, I mean it, it's definitely the second best fist bump of all time because have you ever seen the movie Robot Jocks Robot Jocks yeah it ends with a fist bump at the end that's like the last frame of the movie uh, that was that was the one that um, Peter mentioned as, uh, as as that this is the air to and I was like that's very fitting for for skylines and robot jocks yeah i have to give your second place because robot jocks the film ends with the fist bump it's the last shot of the picture that's my daughter in that one little shot because we you know we shot this last thing two years afterwards with Lindsay, and so to have a little girl that would be the same size as alana who is now five uh, i happen to have a three-year-old so this little weird set was just steel deck uh, put up in the warehouse and hydraulics and then here we are. This is all green screen. And how did you cast Lindsay for this like wraparound part? It was it was hard. I was just kind of racking my brain and um, going through IMDb and thinking I, I was wanted someone that looked like Alana and felt like Frank. Mm-hmm. And I felt like she was perfect. You know, she she feels like she's got the Frank attitude and physicality, and she looked like Alana, the little girl. And I I really liked her in One Hundred, and I. Uh, went to the casting director and he was like, well, yeah, let's ask. And, uh, you know, it was great because I had a finished movie to show her, even though I think we just showed her the trailer. She's like, I fucking love Frank Grillo. Of course I want to be in a Frank Grillo movie. <laughs> She's a huge Frank Grillo fan. and They've still never met. Um, so, you know, wow. maybe part four. There you go. And here we are with the bloopers. 
So, okay, who was the person who went, let's add some bloops to the end of this movie? It was me. I mean, I I, I edited all the bloopers. <laughs> I love a Liam O'Donnell <laughs> film over the guy And he over. says, fuck, right there. Uh, this is just such a great fall. We never had as good of a fall. We never had as many. Well, we fixed the legs in, in Skylines with with better stilts that have more support. Um, and so we don't have as great bloopers with the actual physical comedy because people aren't falling over at the same rate. I mean, I feel bad for the suit performer in these bloopers because the actors are constantly making fun of well, them. Well, yeah, except that like, you know, Jeremy's got a great sense of humor and he's like, I've been in the suits and, and they're they're pretty like padding. It's a lot of padding. So he always says it's like, you know, as he's a stunt guy himself. So if he's falling over with padding, he's like happy as hell. Uh, there was ego actually <laughs> caught on fire right there. Had to get that off. But yeah, Whoa. but yeah. That, so that's that little green screen. That was a little pickup. And whenever <laughs> everyone's in green screen, they just kind of can't help themselves. But yeah, it, we you know we were putting the bloopers as something for like the Blu-ray, and they just ended up being so good. And every person I showed it to was just laugh so hard that I was like, this should just be the end on Maine. And luckily. You know, uh, to me, it was like it's like a mix between the Jackie Chan thing and there's a little bit of the Predator thing because we had so many actors that died. <laughs> like you said, that it was nice to see them again, you know. Uh, mm. But it's funny. I that didn't even think of Predator, but yeah, that's a good point of reference. No one thinks of Predator. No one remembers that the Predator, Predator every actor literally turns the camera and yeah, chuckles. smiles and like gives a thumbs up over the end credits. And no one writes, oh, you know, it was a classic movie until the end on Maine when I saw Carl Weathers grinning ear to ear. He sucked me out of the movie. (laughs) His character was dead. Why is he looking at the, you know, why is he breaking the fourth wall? I mean, if someone is saying that, like, I was with Beyond Skyline until the bloops, you're like, oh, okay. I've seen it. I've seen it because you know know how it is where you, you make a movie and you're like, did that actually happen? And you just spend too much time checking Twitter and title searching it and seeing what people say. Uh, So I've seen every reaction, but I always am just, Look at this. Look how fast the credits are. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is a super fast credit roll. It's almost too fast. Oh, they're zooming along. Well, I don't think that you're talking about something we talked about before we started recording the commentary track. So the credits on Skylines are super slow. This movie is only two minutes shorter than Skylines, but the runtime is like a ridiculous six minute difference or something. And it will bother me for for the rest of my life because <laughs> this movie has about six minutes of credits and skylines has about 10 and uh there's no reason for it but uh this is a little fast now that i'm looking at it i, I do i do get that that was but we we should have sped our, our ones up in skyline a little bit get that runtime down because you do notice that people will be like oh it's almost two hours and you're like really an hour and 42 minutes is almost two hours i don't think so they're just looking at the 153 yeah once it gets to 153 as a film fan i understand where it's like uh, it's almost two hours <laughs> but it's really not because the actual movie is it an hour and 42 it drives me nuts um uh, but anyway, you should go on IMDb and like edit it yourself and be like hour 42 <laughs> It'd be like, I want to do a director's cut <laughs> where the credits go fast. No, just the credits just got just got three and a half minutes of air out of those credits. It was like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um, but yeah, but anyway, that that was that was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for uh, doing this commentary. Try. I was sad when I saw Beyond Skyline come out on Blu-ray and there were no special features. No, on it. Uh, I, I still feel like I do owe 
just a, a straight up commentary explaining everything. I feel like I should try to get Christopher Probst on with it because it would be like film school. He's uh, he, he's he's such a fun, knowledgeable guy to hear talk about making movies. But I still can't believe this whole thing exists. It's crazy. <laughs> Not only does this exist, there is a sequel to this one that I feel like people listening to this have probably seen. But if you haven't, check out Skylines on iTunes. Yes, and uh, it'll we're 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 saying the, the the Blu-ray should be out next week. I recorded a commentary during the pandemic by myself, and uh, I, it really fluctuates. A 20 minutes of caffeinated uh, version to 20 minutes of drunk version, <laughs> depending on what time of the day I was able to find some time to record. Uh, so you might hear a little slur and then all of a sudden it's like cuts and I'm like, so what we did today and I'm all focused again. <laughs> and I just didn't even bother to go back and listen to it at the end. I was like, I, I've already spent way too much time on this. It has to, it has to just go and uh, hopefully it doesn't blow up in my face afterwards. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun talking. So, uh, can you drop some hints though of like Skylines Four? What is it gonna have when it finally gets here? Uh, you know, I'm working on it now, but it, it is one of those. Um, I do feel like this weird, like man, it's just like you're right down at the bottom of the mountain, and you got to push the boulder back up again. And it's not any easier, even though you've done it three times at this point. No, and, and strangely, like the 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 treatment for this one, like is. Uh, it's it's like it's a little bit more vague in parts in my head than normal but like i just started the script because i could totally see the opening so i i'm like 25 pages in but like and i know where it's all gonna go but uh kind of different than than some of my different processes but i I, i'm trying to not overthink it and just kind of like you know take whatever inspiration you can get sometimes because you know how that goes. You know, it's like if the if the treatment's going hard, maybe I'll go this, and then I'll go back to the treatment. Sometimes I I, I jump back and forth, but um, I, it's definitely you know the the whole point of four would be to deliver on the promise of the end of three and and to have these uh, you know the 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 Frank's Mark Corley character, the search for Frank, <laughs> you know reunited with uh with Rose and Trent. Well, I am looking forward to it, and thank you again so much for taking the time to do absolutely. this. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Justin.